Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. If you can't run, you walk. And if you can't walk, you crawl. And if you can't do that, you find someone to carry you. That's a quote from a TV show called Firefly, and it's credited to Malcolm Reynolds. So welcome, welcome, welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. Or if it's your first time, welcome to the show. I'm Lucy Dumas still, and I would love for you to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and you can grab my ebook, 10 Big Ideas for Marketing in the Real World. Because for me, getting out there, leaving your house, doing things in person is very powerful. So I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm also excited to have Meredith Rencars back on the show. I think it's been year, year and a half, maybe. And we had a great conversation and a lot of people have listened to it. It's it's in the top 10 for sure. So I was like, let's get her back. <laughs> so let me tell you about Meredith. She's a former college art professor turned destination wedding photographer. She was recently named one of the top photographers in the South by South magazine. She can be seen or her work can in Forbes, New York Times, and Southern Living. She also just got back from Shutterfest where she taught three classes. And I want to find out what those classes were about. One of her unique experiences is she's a military spouse and she's crafted her business so that she can be mobile and suit her family lifestyle. And she's restarted her business many times over the past decade. So I'm going to ask her some about that. She has a system for relocation called the Restart Specialist. So Meredith, thank you so much for being on the show again. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me and having me back on. Sure. Um, I get when I have a fun interview, which they all are, then I sort of miss the people and, you know, want to have them. First of all, I want to meet up in person, which has been hard during COVID. And then want to have more great conversations. So it's it's a joy. Um, so what did you teach? I'd love to know your topics. Um, at Shutterfest, I got to teach a film photography 101 class, which just made me super happy. And then I was teaching a details class for wedding photography, which was followed by a class on weeding out the garbage from your portfolio and preparing it for publication. So those last two classes kind of went hand in hand. Oh. So someone could have just spent the whole day with you and nothing else and gotten a wealth of, <laughs> of yeah. new info. Um, I love that. And uh, just just to support the people that sponsor her. Um, so 17 Hats. Mm-hmm. And what are the two other uh, companies that you were at the booth at Shutterfest in case oh. people were there? Yeah, I was, um, I absolutely love 17 Hats. 
they uh, are what keep my business going. Uh, they're a client management system. And um, H&H Color Lab is our print lab. And just they are like family to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aftershoot is um, a new a new thing for me. Um, but it is how I call my images and mm. how I color correct them. And it's um, actual artificial intelligence that mm. does it. So I've enjoyed using that um, the last year and a half in my business. That's awesome. I first heard about it uh, last year at uh, Whippy, WPPI. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, I mean, if we, if we can automate, even though it's like, oh no, automated, it's going to take work away from people. But what, what I think, perhaps you agree with this, a lot of the work it's taking away from people is work they're doing themselves unpaid that they yes. really shouldn't be doing. So Correct. I, I'm guessing that 80% of photographers are spending too much time doing their own editing and they're not Absolutely. hiring people. So, yep. Is, are there any tricks to making that work well? For you? I think that understanding that with anything, whether you're going to hire an actual human to edit your images or whether you're going to use an AI program, uh, you have to understand that there's going to be a learning curve for either one and that you're going to have to put the work in to teach and train the AI in the same way that you're going to have to teach and train a human editor to do what you need them to do. Um, it's not going to be done in the first like click of a button. So having that, that knowledge that it's, it has to be trained. Mm -hmm. So Rome wasn't built in a day and good editing wasn't either. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So the first thing I would love to have a refresher course on is the journey for people who need to restart in new locations. Um, can you share a little about that and maybe some tips yeah. on how you do that? Yeah, we're, um, we've been very lucky the last couple of years since I was on the podcast with you and we haven't had to move. Um, yay. For, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yay. Um, and that is something that um, in the future, we're going to, of course, have to face again. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing I, I keep reiterating to people is that you have to get out there and get to know the people in the market that you want to work in. And that's not necessarily for us that's shifted and changed in the last couple of years. It's not just where we live, but it's where we want to work. Mm-hmm. And that might require me to go take a trip um, to Florida or North Carolina or Tennessee and get to know uh, wedding vendors in those markets that I'm interested in, uh, as well as just our local. So why, why would you do that? And all the effort of going and around the globe, if that's how it works or mm-hmm. around the country, um, like, why is that something that you've decided is, you know, fun and profitable part of your business? So we have a lot of destination weddings that are coming here as well as locals that are wanting to get married elsewhere. Ah. And so instead of just simply focusing on my regional market, 
when there are planners coming to this area and they're wanting to bring preferred vendors from wherever they are, well, then I want to get to know them. I want to build that relationship Mm. with them. It also expands my reach. And when you're starting to raise your your rates as a wedding photographer, um, you have to pull from a wider net of individuals. It can't just be your your own regional market. The same thing for boudoir or portraits. Um, The more that you can expand your reach in any genre of photography, the more inquiries you're going to get, which means that it's a numbers game of higher inquiries, Mm -hmm. more bookings. And you can be more selective about who you are working with. I mean, that's so logical, uh, especially you know, if you're getting into like really investment level, mm-hmm. I think maybe you found this, maybe I'm wrong, but that having an out of town photographer is for some people a status. Yes. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. And I know that when you're planning a move, there are mm-hmm. some things you do before. Mm-hmm you go. Can you share a little about that? Yeah. So some of the things that we do before expanding into a new market or moving is looking at what is the the market doing that you're looking at moving into? Are they, uh, is there a certain style that seems to be prevalent? Is there a certain um, vendor or venue that keeps popping up over and over again, uh, understanding the price point that you're moving into, because I may be charging a thousand dollars an hour here, but if I go up to New York, that price point is going to change just based on um, regional demographics. Mm-hmm. And you definitely don't want to undercut the market that you're moving into because there are people that are established there and out of respect for the businesses that they've established, I certainly don't want to undercut their skill level. If if our skill levels are the same, I don't want to come in there and undercut the work that they've built. I'd rather rise to the occasion. And the more that we can all across the board as photographers do that, the more that we can elevate our industry by charging appropriately for the region that we're in. I really appreciate that, Meredith, that it's not all about us. This really is if we choose to have our business be this way in our life. We're a community where it can be lonely here in our offices and doing our work and getting involved and being a part of our photography community and being respectful when you hit a new location. Well, I just appreciate that and appreciate uh, the opportunity to have people think about that. Yeah. In fact, when I was doing weddings, it was such a community among a, a handful of photographers where we were doing the same um, basic pricing and what we were offering. And, you know, we our, our ideal clients were the same. I got at least a third of my weddings from other photographers. Mm-hmm. Because we can't be everywhere unless, you know, my business was, they were hiring me to photograph. I didn't have a team 
a photographer. So, you know, knowing the value of of our community, at whether you're moving or not moving, um, it strengthens our own businesses. Yeah, I think I've seen the pendulum go back where it needs to be in regards to that. But I think when I first started, there's just was an overwhelming fear of not enough of scarcity Mm -hmm. over and over again. And I, it feels like that's going away. It feels like there's a lot more willingness to help each other out, to be able to refer, to stop trying to take every single client that comes your way. Not every client that can pay what I'm requiring is a good fit for me. And sometimes they're a better fit for uh, another photographer down the road. And it's going to make for a better experience for them on their day if I'm able to do that versus trying to just collect every single lead and book every single lead that comes my way. So I feel like that's, I'm, I'm grateful that that has started to move in that direction where it's much more collaborative. Again, there's less of that fear of scarcity. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I, used to I did weddings for 12 years and then kids for 20 kids and families for 20 or so I don't know counting it up doing the math time goes so fast and when there was a bride and groom who were thinking about hiring me or another photographer or two I would find myself getting competitive and wanting to book the wedding and win yeah. And wasn't thinking about, do I want this job? And my final straw where I was like, that's it. I'm saying no. If I get a funny feeling is there was someone that kind of made it competitive and I, I didn't lower prices or anything. I don't believe, but I might've sweetened the deal because I wanted to win that. And it was, I can still remember how terrible I was treated and how I just couldn't wait to get the wedding over. And, and then, you know, there's the job of, of putting the album together and all of that. And that was that like, aha moment. Yeah, (laughs) I need to choose my clients as well as they choose me and trust that little place. Just, I can't get right down there just Mm -hmm. above your belly button that's saying yes or no. (laughs) Yes. And, and there are people that I could have referred them to, or I could have said, you know, John Sherman or whatever. I think he'd be a great fit for you because if I knew John and I knew he was more, um, I know I was too nice (laughs) at the time. (laughs) So somebody that could stand up to their the bossiness and not really bully but close yeah. yeah so i appreciate that and the thought that we that there is enough you know that living out of that fear of not enough uh, yeah. i don't know do you have any stories of things you did or something you did when you were in some fear around that i think not there's enough. a tendency when that fear creeps in of like undercutting There's a difference between undercutting your bottom line and like lowering a price versus adjusting 
because we've had clients, we have potential clients come to us and say, well, we don't want this or we don't want that. You know, if we take it out, can we lower the price? And there's a difference between just flat out lowering a price and saying, well, if this is where you're at, um, we can restructure the quote for you to do this, this and that, but you won't get this, this and this. And I think when fear creeps in, we we don't think about it logically that way. We just go, yeah, sure. Okay. We can, you know, we'll, we'll do it for, I don't know we'll do it for 3k and we'll we'll throw in an engagement session and we'll throw this in and the kitchen sink and yeah and you want my firstborn <laughs> yeah exactly um and that that's the fear-based response to it versus um you know now we look at it and go okay one is this a right fit for us um two is it um you know is it something reasonable that they're asking and so we custom quote now. We don't just say, here's package A, B, or C. It's literally a conversation back and forth before we ever talk price point. Um, and there's no fear associated with that because I'm giving them what they're asking for. But in return, I'm also saying, here's what here's what I need in order for you to commission me to create this on your wedding day. And so it's it's a collaborative um, almost that, like I said, commission based versus here's package A, B, or C and right. throw in the kitchen sink. Well, the nice thing I can see in doing that is they can't really compare. Nope. Side by side. Nope. Because it's a, it's a quote based on individual decisions and individual products and time and whatever else right. uh, you're doing. So that's pretty brilliant. Um, so this fear, I think, also comes in with just general pricing and being afraid to charge what we need because everyone else is charging so much less. Or, you know, in our and uh, there's air quotes around everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't true. <laughs> just no, like, no, everyone wants the digitals. You know, that, no, that is not true. Yes, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to spend a lot. A lot of people fill in the blank. But um, so do you have any thoughts about how to talk ourselves out of that fear? Or yeah, how do, how do people who are scared that, okay, another air quotes, in my area, uh-huh. <laughs> I can't charge that. Yeah, Um I definitely used to feel that way. And the the more moves that we had under the belt for my business, the more I realized the whole air, you know, air fingers quote, everybody else is doing this and I can't do this in my market really wasn't true. Um, When I first started into wedding photography, I was told, oh, you can't do in-person sales for weddings. We, you know, shoot and share is the way to go. And that is what everyone expects from a wedding photographer. So if you want to be successful, that's what you need to do. And of course, being new in the industry and and that not knowing enough about it, that fear obviously set in. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. I can't Hmm. do this. Um. And we moved to a new area and were there for about a year. And uh, a sweet friend of mine convinced me to get back into in-person sales as a wedding photographer. And um, I-, I heard a couple of people, a couple of photographers say, oh, well, we don't, you know, nobody in our market does that. Nobody in our market does that. And then I started talking to planners and they were 
fascinated by the idea of offering an album mm. with our initial Great. offering. And uh-huh. um, by the time we left that location and moved to where we are now in Savannah, um, it was interesting to see how many photographers started to pick up on doing what we had mm. been doing. And the same thing has happened here where um, I've seen a shift and a transition in um, some things that we offered and don't be afraid to be that one that sets out on your own and says, you know what, I'm just going to do it this way. Mm. Um, if you know why you're doing it, if you are rooted in why that fear of doing something differently than air fingers quote, what everyone else is doing is really going to set you apart and allow you uh, my friend Mary Morantz used to say, it's like having 50 tabs open on your computer and going, nope, nope, nope. There you are, Peter. Uh, I found you. There you are. And being different sets you apart. It makes it easier to market because you you market from your why. You market from, um, again, she says, slow growth equals strong roots. So doing it the right way, doing it from why. Um, doing it because you know that's where your heart is, removes the fear. It allows you to stand out. Really well said. I totally love the the part about, first of all, when you do what's right for you, mm-hmm. and you're doing it differently because that's what works for you. Mm-hmm. And then you just might get other people starting to change and, and change yeah. the culture in a community. Yep. And when the community changes and the culture changes, it's even easier to do the thing that you're doing because right. now you're you're not swimming upstream anymore. You've got people that are going along with you going, yeah, this, this thing makes sense. Let's do it this way. And um, that disruption in the way that it's always been done, the air fingers quote, um, is it's not always easy, but it definitely it's fun to see the change. Mm-hmm. I saw that happen in San Diego around the idea of selling wall portraits. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be that people were selling stacks of eight by tens and lots of wallets and, you know, not getting paid very well for what they did, higher volume. And then people like Ken Whitmire and Charles Lewis, uh, I had Charles on my show a couple months ago. So if you want to hear about his, how he is so passionate about wall art and selling in person, that was a great interview. But the concept came into our minds and I was pretty new in the industry at the time. And everyone was like, that's not going to work in this area. And a Mm -hmm. few people started learning, taking the classes, doing the wall portrait conference with Ken for a week. Yep. And selling wall portraits. And then at a certain point, then it was just standard. And that's what people wanted because they went to their friends' houses and here were these beautiful portraits over the fireplace or or the couch. And then it became much easier for all of us to be profitable because right. a few people had the courage to change. And the lovely thing is uh, one of my good friends who has been in business, I don't know, 15 years longer than me. So he kind of pioneered this in his community. I got involved, I don't know, 
10, 15 years after the big shift with Mm -hmm. that same community uh, doing uh, charity uh, gift certificates for nonprofits. And so many of them would say, oh my gosh, I have beautiful portraits from Lee's photography from when my kids were babies and we haven't had an update in 12 years. So this is perfect. And he, I already had a built-in market thanks to the work he did. So, yeah. you know, a rising tide floats all boats mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So what is your why about in-person sales? Oh, so <laughs> I've been married for almost 17 years now uh, this summer. And when we got married, I was not a wedding photographer. I was not even a photographer. I, I liked it. I knew how to to, to capture pictures, but um, we hired somebody from the university that my husband and I met at, and she was definitely an artist, but not a business owner. And um, about a month before we got married, she was like, "Um, so I, I can't shoot your wedding because." I'm your caterer. And I went, what? No, you're not. (laughs) So it turned out that her fiance was actually our caterer. We got married in a small town and um, she was like, so I can either shoot your wedding or I can help with the food. And I I panicked and um, reached out to a couple of friends who were wedding photographers. They were already booked. And um, a friend of mine very sweet girl, um, had never shot a wedding, but she had a 35 millimeter camera. And so she captured our, our wedding, but we had no prints. We Mm. had, um, it was before the scanners that like were really good that were available. So what I have are, are 35 millimeter scans that she sent me that can't be printed above a five by seven. Did she lose the negatives? Is that she has no, she's a military spouse and has no idea where the negatives are ah, at this point. Okay. So um, those prints that initially it was like, okay, we, ha- we have these. And, um, you know, 17 years ago, it was the, the, just the start of Facebook, just the start of social media. And so, and we moved a lot, didn't realize how much those mattered, got married and literally within six, uh, less than six months, my husband deployed for 15 months. Mm. Um, and that really hit home of like, these matter, these, like, not only do they matter to like, remember those moments, but when you're missing somebody, they matter. Mm -hmm. And so I got into photography after that, when, um, right after he, we got married because our entire neighborhood deployed all of them, um, all, all of the, the military's. Uh, mm-hmm. members did. And so they would come home for uh, what we call R&R, which was like a, a week to two weeks off during deployment. And they all wanted pictures. Um, and a, I had a camera and mm-hmm. so started to take those pictures and realize how important the the printed product was, not the digitals, but the printed product. Right. And um, then, you know, fast forward to 2014 2015 started photographing weddings again they just they kept coming people that had the same situation as me where um, they came 
and said, oh, our wedding photographer backed out. We need somebody. We're in a panic. And um, that cornerstone of, is why we offer those products, because you may not necessarily think you're going to want them right now. You may go, oh, the, you know, the digitals are fine. But that family member passes away, that that spouse gets sick. Your hard drive crashes. Your hard drive crashes. You can't find anything. Right. I mean, my my wedding images are on a a CD and luckily I've backed them up in multiple places. But Mm -hmm. if you didn't know to do that, you know, most things don't have CD drives anymore. Right. And CDs aren't meant to last for a hundred years. No, they're not. They're going to last however they last. Right. Yes. Yes. My, so what I'm hearing the core of your why comes from personal experience Mm -hmm. and the loss of what you wish you had. Yes. And the understanding how important printed work Mm -hmm. is and not a set of proofs. Cause I'm guessing that's what, what you have. I I don't even have a set of proofs. I don't even have. Oh, so the, the negatives were scanned, yep. but they were not scanned at a high uh, resolution. No, they were so, not. They were yeah. like scanned at Walmart. And ah. we all know as photographers what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, it's not a knock on, on her. She knew even less than I did. And, yeah. you know, we we recognize that. And so in not only... Ed- for me in not only offering those products to our clients, but educating other photographers about the fact that in-person sales and offering printed commission as a photographer, that being able to do that is so impactful and so powerful. And um, that also comes from a background too of um, before my husband and I got married, I was a college art professor, Mm. um, taught art history, taught some graphic design stuff. And, um, that idea of being commissioned to create a piece of art is what I want every photographer to look at what they're doing. You are Mm. being commissioned to create art. You're not just pushing a button and running it through something digital. This is a commissioned piece of work. And what an up-leveled branding Mm -hmm. consciousness and the Mm -hmm. use of words to help people understand the value and be willing yeah. to invest more or yeah. or be willing to just let them walk away if yes. that isn't you know if if that's not important to them when we're charging more and we're doing in-person sales which to me means a lot more profit yeah um we can afford to let people go to other photographers that approach this differently Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I especially currently understand the value of printed work because my mom passed away at almost 99 in January mm-hmm. this year. And so, of course, I wanted to, first of all, collect every photograph I could find yeah. that she looked great in. Mm-hmm. And then I did scan some and made some posters and printed some and wouldn't you know it the ones that were hardest for me to find were the family portrait sessions that I had done that uh yes I made prints of those Mm -hmm. for some reason 
wherever I put them, it took a while for me to get to that that section because I'm not as organized with family photos as I am with client photos. So same. Yeah. Cobblers, kids have no shoes. And so I kept finding prints and prints and prints and prints and prints, snapshots, big things, and realized even for a photographer, Mm -hmm. the digital images are, are not as tangible and easy to access. I mean, I had to, I had to pull out a lot of hard drives because I had a system where I had hard drives that all copied and that stopped working. And mm-hmm. I managed to get a full backup on all of that information. But then where was that hard drive? Yeah. Where is the boxes of prints, including ones I found in my grandmother's photographs, a tintype, which was probably 1880s. Mm-hmm. of a woman that looks just like my sister. And my sister doesn't look like the rest of the family. But we know she's family because <laughs> there's a woman 100 plus years ago that was photographed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that resemblance carries on. So, yeah. And, you know, some people doesn't matter to them. But for me, and I'm guessing for you, and so many people listening, our history, our family, people that we mm-hmm. love, it matters. Yeah. And then also, just a little quick, my first wedding, I hired a, a good photographer. And because although I was new in photography, I was a colleague, he was willing to photograph and give me the files. I mean, not files, negatives. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, my God, I put so much work into trying to design my own album and get the pages right because of course it wasn't digital 30 some years ago and mm-hmm. and he shot in um rectangular like four mm-hmm. by five and so okay those won't make five by sevens together out and the pages yeah. were I don't know if you have worked in the world of of where they're set mats in different shapes and sizes. My mom's album was similar to that. Yeah. yeah. And still, and I still value those, those albums, uh, both weddings, even though I'm no longer with them. um, Because there's a lot of family and because I looked pretty young and hot. (laughs) Okay. I still look hot. We'll just, (laughs) at least today, my bangs, people listen a lot. They know I'm like bang phobic and I'm having a good bangs day today. You are. Sorry, We're having just, a good bang day today. Just, just, uh, just wandered off. Okay, reel me back in. <laughs> anyway, so even for people who can do it themselves, for us to do in-person sales and then do the production, to me, is the gift I'm giving. Yes, I have new little baby in my family life, my great grand nephew, and I photograph him whenever I can. And definitely, if I hired someone else, I would have more finished images. My family would have more finished images. Yeah. It's a service. That's what I hear from you. And that's what I feel my why is that that's my job. Yeah. Well, I think you just made a very, very important point of even though you and I both um, work as photographers, 
as professional photographers. We're both saying, well, our our family images to find them are a mess. Um, and that we're not necessarily printing the images that you and I are taking of our families at the rate that we probably should be mm-hmm. because we get busy with our daily lives. We get busy with work. We get busy with family and things that are going on. And that's the same case for our clients. That's something that we all have to remember is that I forget exactly what the number was for Shutterfly, but they I think it's in the billions. They were doing a billion dollars in sales for prints. And that means that your clients um, out there, those of you that are listening, are not coming to you to print images. They're going somewhere else. And they're going to somewhere else that's not providing them the white glove service and knowledge that you and I have. So we should be the ones providing that for them. And so if you're saying, oh, people don't want printed images, that's not Mm -hmm. correct. They're just not going to you and they should be. And so we call our in-person sales design sessions because Mm. I am designing a custom piece for you. So I know people call it reveal sessions and red carpet sessions, but for us, I want it to be intentional about, I'm not just revealing your images to you. Mm -hmm. We are designing custom works of art for your wall, for um, your album. And luckily we have a a system with InView that allows us to do that on their walls of their actual home. Mm. So they're seeing it as it would actually be once they get it in hand. Mm. Yeah, I I like that term, I think, because the last several years I've been all in on my coaching business and this podcasting mm-hmm. uh, little adventure here. And um, OK, I just went off on another bunny trail um, and I think I called it the the design session or. Yeah the slideshow and ordering session, but yes, we're portrait designers. Mm -hmm. I love, this is something that came from Ken Whitmire. I love to mention him as often as possible because he's not with us, but he is with us. Mm -hmm. Um, Is he talked about that we're creating furniture. (laughs) We're creating decor, Mm -hmm. not photographs. We're doing what an interior decorator would do for people's yes. walls. Yes. And including to me, I love helping them select the perfect frame if that's mm-hmm. the style that we're doing. Because I'm more impressed with my work. Like let's say order comes in of wall portraits and I open them up and I'm like, ooh. And then they come over and we pick frames. The frames come in, I put it together. And then when I flip it open and see it in the frame, I feel like I'm three times the better artist and photographer yeah, because the frame enhances the work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I got two orders in today of two 20 by thirties for one of my clients and uh, we're just waiting for her album to come in. And so I always open it up just to like check it. And then I wrap it in some black um, paper and tie it up with a ribbon, but it's, it's always so much more impactful to me because you see it on a small screen and now you're seeing it in real life and it's just, mm-hmm. it's so much more um, real than just looking at it on a digital. Right. Yep. Um, okay. It was, there was a little question that was connected to this, but I, I'd love, and the little time we have left, I know that 
film is making a comeback. And, oh, yes. And at this point in my career, because um, I was the last professional photographer in California to switch to digital. I mm-hmm. mean, not completely, but in, in our world, professional photographers of America and California, mm-hmm. everyone's like, Lucy, you're going to get behind. You've got to change. <laughs> and then one day my lab that I was using was closed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was on a journey to find another lab that would still print traditionally Mm-hmm. And Burrell in Indiana uh, was making me happy. And then they stopped doing true uh, prints, portraits from the negatives. Mm-hmm. Then at that point they were scanning and I was like, I give up. I'm going to just use a camera. You know, I had a Hasselblad. So I'm going to use a camera where I can zoom, where they'll focus for me. I don't mm-hmm. have to process film. I, I give in. Yeah. And by that time, I'd learned how to do decent editing and the pixels. Uh, my 5D had, I don't know, 23 megapixels and everything else in the past, it had like 16. So I made the switch. So at this point, I think, oh, why would I go back mm-hmm. yeah. to film? Because first of all, they're not going to be printing straight from the negative. They're scanning it. So t- tell me about um, I know that you've got your finger on the pulse of the yeah. resurgence of using film. Yeah. So we, I started in film 20 um, something years ago and uh, got my first digital camera in 2007. And for me at that point in time, um, it would just made more sense to go to digital. Um, mm-hmm. Moved all the time. I then had small children, and so trying to like process film and be a mom and work from home just became crazy. But I kept getting questions from planners about, well, it looks like you shoot film, and I went, no. And they're like, well, it, it just looks that way. And I think that has to do with the fact that I started in film and I mm-hmm. see light the way that film captures it because film captures light differently than digital captures light. There, right. You and I both know that. And the pandemic happened and I wanted something creative and to do. And I was like, you know, why don't, why don't I've got time. Why don't we just dip our toes back into that? and see what happens. And the year that I brought back film into our our weddings um, and our portrait sessions, and I do actually use it for boudoir sometimes, it, we doubled our income. And mm-hmm. it opens up doors that, can you open those doors with digital? Yes. But does it open a niche genre that is unique that people are looking for? Yes. Now there are some that still process their own film. I don't have time to do that. Did I love it when I was in my twenties in the dark room and just had all the time in the world? Sure. Mm -hmm. I did, but I found a fantastic print lab in Montgomery, Alabama. It's called Indie Film Lab and they process my film for me. They understand the style of what I'm wanting and and how I shoot, and they understand that. So, um, it, you know, 
for those of you that are listening, I'm showing Lucy right now. I've got my 120 film packed up, ready to go. I'm headed to Amelia Island next week, and I've got lots and lots of film ready to go for that um, that trip. And it's just it causes me to have to slow down. We're mm-hmm. so used to. I think it makes me a better photographer because mm-hmm. I can't see the back of my camera. I can't do five million light tests and tweak and tweak and tweak. I have to know what's going on. Um, I have to be able to understand what ISO does. I have to understand why I need a certain type of film for a certain type of situation in order to create the outcome that I want. Mm. And so I would encourage anybody that's just getting into photography. If you start using film, it's going to make you slow down. It's going to make you think more. And I think it will be a, it will create in you a better intentionality in how you use your your tools to create art. So you're shooting two and a quarter format then. I mean, is that, it's been so long. <laughs> One twenty two twenty film. So you're shooting medium format. Yes, I am. And um, 35, but mostly medium format. Okay. Um, so then, and I'm shocked that you have 120 film and not 220 because, oh man, you, you only get 12 images on 120. <laughs> I've got both. I've yeah. got, I, I do have both, um, that are available. Um, this is just what I happen to have within hand yeah, reach okay. right now. <laughs> I was, I was like, Meredith, they make 220 now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, when I started in weddings, we used 100 ISO film. That's what was available that would print well. Yeah. And so I learned to work on a tripod mm-hmm. in a sanctuary. It was F4 at a fourth of a second. Um, and we had to be within range. One thing I learned from Frank Criccio, he was the master of film and actually worked with Kodak, uh, that if you're half a stop under, exposed you're doomed but you can go up to three stops over and still get a printable print but yeah trying to do that when you've got 100 speed and then they came out with 200 mm-hmm. then they came out with 400 and then the 800 i would always rate it at four but i have an ilford sitting in here an ilford 3200 oh that's so fun so this image back here mm-hmm was shot on 35 millimeter Ilford 3200. The the little guy, it was garbage day. And we were trying to get him in front of my background, sitting in a chair. And he wanted to look out of the door of my, uh, it's a little apartment that was my studio. And I was like, oh, he's so cute. So I ran into the house, grabbed my 35, threw in some 3200 speed film and got this lovely little green. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I remember that. So I can see how it helps you slow down and, and pay attention to what you're photographing and being a, let's say a sharpshooter in a way where no one dies. (laughs) Yes. And I, I know that having like when I got my Hasselblad, Instead of using a Mamiya camera, just owning a Hasselblad 
upped my status in the eyes of some uh, clients. Yeah. Especially the dads of the brides and grooms that you would, he'd be like, what are you shooting with? (laughs) He was like, Mm -hmm. Asselbud. Oh, she's a good photographer. (laughs) So, so the moral of. I still hear that sometimes now. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so what I'm getting at is I know saying that you're shooting film, using film, Mm -hmm. uh, commands higher dollars because it's a niche. Mm -hmm. So, what about the photographs themselves? How different are those? Or like, why can people see the difference? Or is it more a perception? Um, I think there are some people that can definitely see the difference that can pick out this is a film image versus this is a digitally produced preset over a digital image. I think there are people that definitely have the eye to be able to pick the difference out. But I think I think a lot of clients like the idea of the niche, but they don't understand the back-end process of it. And the reality is I am shooting film. I can print directly from those film scans like we used to do 20-something years ago. Um, I can have Indy print that for me if I needed to, probably. Um, I don't. Could I do that in my own home? Yes, I know how to do that. That's how I learned. But the reality is... The clients still want the digital ability to share it online. They still want the ability to print it in large images. And so there's a romanticism of film mm. without understanding that I'm still scanning those into JPEG. And I think when you kind of pull back that curtain, like the Wizard of Oz <laughs> in that movie and, and go, ta-da, here we go. And you see who the great and powerful Oz really is, it removes the romanticism and the magic from it. And so we don't spend a lot of time explaining that to our clients because they don't want to know. They just love the romantic idea of (laughs) it's shot on film. They know that it's going to be a beautiful image. We I know that this the depth and the color is going to be different. Okay. So you see the difference. I see the difference. But I started in film and I moved into digital. And so I can see the difference in the blacks uh, and the the grain versus adding noise in. There's a definite difference to me Mm -hmm. because I started that way. But I think not all consumers understand what's really happening behind the scenes. And so if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, I want to start into film, um, I want to offer that to my clients. Don't remove the magic. Don't right. tell the two-year-old that the Easter bunny doesn't exist. <gasps> shh, no. shh. If anyone's <laughs> listening to this, she just made that up. Yeah, I just made the that joke. up. <laughs> so it reminds me, uh, there was a coffee shop in my neighborhood. I live in a cute little community in San Diego, historic. And so there was this coffee shop and Rebecca made the most delicious scones. And it would come with like a strawberry compote that, you know, she used frozen strawberries, but she made this little topping and every day she'd have different flavorings in the scones. And like, it was the talk of the neighborhood always. And I was in Costco Mm -hmm. and I saw her buying boxes and boxes of Bisquick. I I was like, hi. And she was like, Oh, 
And she said, please don't tell anybody. Because, you know, you think if someone's making fantastic scones, they're getting their own baking powder and baking yes. soda and special flowers. And, but she was making Bisquick biscuits and then she was adding her own magic to yeah. that. So yeah. maybe we're kind of in that same, you know, yeah. I got behind the curtain and there was, there was Rebecca with her boxes of, of Bisquick, <laughs> which actually makes a pretty good biscuit, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I'm thinking one of the benefits might be also some time management because yeah. when someone, when a lab scans our film, they then edit color balance and, you know, so they're processing and they're producing um, the images, you know, and files that are already pretty much ready to go. Especially if we have a lab that's like family, like yours and yeah. and the ones I've always, uh, right now I use Mid-South Color Lab, but I've always used labs where I could have a really personal relationship with them. Yes. And um, so they know the color I like. So back when I got proofs uh, from weddings or the slide proofs, they knew that I like things a little rich and saturated on the cool side with peaches and cream skin tones. I don't like yellow. I don't like beige. I don't like dark and moody. I like a certain thing. So a am I right in that, that the, the, the scans, the digital files you get from the negatives are pretty much what you like? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'll do is I'll provide from time to time, I'll provide images. If it's a heavily saturated wedding, like the flowers are just bright oranges and yellows. And then I'll provide a digital image, um, from that wedding oh. to say, here's, here's what we were seeing in person. Obviously it's shot on Portra 400, um, Portra 800, uh, et cetera. And then they, what they're sending back to me, I don't have to edit it. It's, it's what I need it to be. And that's whether it's in the uh, processing of the film itself when they're doing that, or when they're scanning it in, I also chose to use, uh, there's different types of scanners. There's a Noritsu and there's a Frontier. And mm -hmm. um, I choose to use a Noritsu because of the way I want my images to look. Right. Um, also it's, um, if I remember correctly, it's not image by image by image versus like frontier. You have to do individual images mm -hmm. one at a time. Um, so it's having that relationship with your print lab and talking to them. And, um, there are, you know, I've, I tested out different, just like you test out different cameras or different lenses or different film stocks, uh, test out your, your print labs and see for the film, like for developing your film. Who do you work well with if that's something mm -hmm. that you're wanting to get into? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like a lab where I can have them because um, I I let them color correct mm -hmm. because I'm so picky. I can't even please myself. Yeah, uh, because what I see on my monitor does not look the same no matter what I do in mm -hmm. print. And I like that they I, and I get a set of proofs before I order wall art and albums and such. 
and they will match the, you know, they'll send me those test prints and proofs and then they save that information so that then they can recreate it. Uh, yeah. Whereas some of the volume labs, it's like what you get that day, that's what you get. And it might be a little different tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is fine for some people, but I'm too picky for my own good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely picky. Um, I'm grateful that my my print lab as well as my film lab both take that that time for really making sure that things are the way they should be. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, we could talk for another hour because... I yes. <laughs> enjoy all the things that come out of your brain and mouth. <laughs> um, but I've got two questions for you before we wrap it up. Right. Um, and remember, everybody, stay tuned for my little quick wrap up summary, if we can possibly summarize <laughs> what we talked mm-hmm. about. So question one, how can people get in touch with you if they have questions, they want to hire you to speak or get any of your programs? Uh, so what's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach me is the restartspecialist.com. And that's going to have all my social media links, the YouTube channel. There's also a resources.therestartspecialist.com, which has got some fun stuff in there as well. Okay. So I know you specifically have a gift for our listeners. So what would that be and how do they find it? If so, if you go to the resources excuse me, resources.therestartspecialist.com. That's going to have a free wedding ebook on there that you can download um, for details, for photographing details. And then it additionally has a PDF of lots of things from what we've mentioned today from Aftershoot and all other goodies that I like to use that you can download. So cool, cool, cool. Thank you for that. All right. Last question uh, is either, is there something that you wish we'd had a chance to talk about or is there a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with? I think the biggest thing I would want to say is stop worrying about what everybody else is Mm -hmm. doing. Just Pull from outside of our industry. Learn from those that are doing things well in other industries and look at how you can apply it to ours and stop worrying about it being the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, Trust your gut uh, as an artist. and Don't be afraid to pioneer something that feels a little scary. I love it. Well, thank you, Meredith. And again, everyone stay tuned for the wrap-up. And... um... I'm just so grateful to you and the stand that you take for, um, I don't know, people offering their best, being full service photographers and learning. And, you know, you just have a, such a passion for helping others in this industry and Thank you. grateful. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yes, ma'am. Bye. Well, hello again. <laughs> I know you didn't go anywhere and I didn't go anywhere. Um, So just a reminder, if you go to lucydumascoaching.com, there's some free gifts. And the good news is that puts you in my email list as well. So you get notified about my upcoming podcasts and such. And if you want to just have a 20-minute chat for, for any reason whatsoever, 
around photography, um, get in touch and we'll set that up. So let's see. So we talked about basically three topics. One was about relocating. And um, she said when she's she's uh, going to a new area, she gets out there and gets to know people in her market. Um, she finds out what other people are doing. She finds out favorite venues, and she does her research, so she's prepared. Um, she also doesn't look at the, oh, everybody is selling digital files for $300. So she suggests that we look at what other colleagues are doing. And then we talked about the fear of being different. And so what if we go to an area or we live in an area where everybody else, air quotes, is doing what is not financially effective for your goals, um, how to just choose to do what you do. And surprisingly, other people might realize, oh, that's a good idea, and start offering uh, a higher level of service. And we talked about in-person sales and her why and my why, and the importance in both of our lives of having printed photographs and that we want that for our clients. Um, there's other whys in there. Financially, it's more lucrative. Um, I love just the whole process. Um, and when we approach what we do as artists and decorators and providing a custom commissioned art uh project art experience uh, that serves our clients and it serves us as well. Then we talked about film and why it's making a comeback and how she's able to actually double her average per client because she's shooting film. And one reason is it slows her down and she's become a better photographer. Um, I do think that in my career, being mostly a film photographer, slowed me down. Well, it didn't slow me down because there was no other option. Um, I suppose I could have done 35 millimeter autofocus, but doing film on a medium format camera, every time I click that shutter, it's a dollar out of my pocket. So I wanted to make sure every time as, as much as possible that the that, that images were sellable. I also became a better photographer because I couldn't rely on the back of the camera to tell me if my exposure was correct. And I saw what clients purchased. And so then I would repeat that. Oh, this was popular. I'm going to make sure I always do something of the grandparents because that always sold if I did, even if it was casual. And there's that, ooh, she does film factor that sets her apart. So that's it for now. And let me know if there's something I can do for you, or let me know if there's somebody you would love for me to interview. And an introduction goes a long way. So, um, you know, I'm here to uh, help you. I'm here to 
support other people that are doing great things in our industry. And I'm here to have fun. So until next time, we'll see you later. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.